0: Hello, everybody. This may sound different than the rest of the episode, and that's because I'm recording it at a different time. And I'm doing so because I wanted to make what I think is a very exciting announcement, and that is that Cinema Gadfly, the podcast, uh, is joining up with Criterion Cast, which is a podcast network uh, run by my friend Ryan Gallagher, uh, focused on criterion things but also just on sort of the world of film and home video uh the network has a a bunch of really great shows uh some of which are entirely criterion focused and some of which are entirely not criterion focused and i heartily recommend that uh, everyone checks out all of those shows Uh, anyway uh just wanted to let everyone know what's going on and uh, i'm extremely excited uh, for this uh, announcement so thank you and enjoy the rest of the show (laughs)
1: oh my god i've never been so glad to see him in my entire life this day has been the biggest nightmare i mean these job interviews troy the word vivisection a staggering understatement can you define irony
0: it's when the actual meaning is the complete opposite from the literal meaning oh my god where were you when i
1: needed you today Uh, I, i should go in the early 1990's, uh, young actor and director Ben Stiller, along with his uh, screenwriter collaborator Helen Childress, got together a story about uh, what it was like coming of age as a young adult in the uh, the birth of the grunge era and uh, the early days of what we now think about as Generation X. Uh, they recruited a few friends, uh, Ethan Hawke, Winona Ryder, and they made a film about love and romance. Yeah, with, the, with the tagline, life is always funnier when it's happening to someone else. Yes, I, <laughs> I, yes I'm talking about Reality Bites, a 1994 rom-com about beautiful young people uh, sorting out all the confusion, all the conflicting emotions, all the thwarted ambitions, and all the vain aspirations of being a young 20-something with all kinds of talent, all kinds of potential, but a stunning lack of direction. Uh, that's the film I've chosen to talk about, Arik, uh, on this new episode of Cinema Gadfly. Reality Bites 1994. Let's get into it. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> hey everybody. Uh, I'm once again joined by my friend and uh, fellow Criterion blogger, podcaster, uh, David Blakesley. Uh, thanks
1: again for, for joining me, David. Yeah, thank you. I, I've appreciated the, the conversation we've just finished up on Shunking Express. And uh, now I've had a chance to kind of, you know, dig in and, and think about a little bit. Uh, this is the movie I chose for us to talk about. Another, another uh, comedy about young, beautiful people in a different part of the world uh, going through their own romantic travails and trying to make sense out of it all. Yeah, so is that why you
0: chose this one for me? Is it because you wanted to sort of – you thought it was maybe an interesting counterpoint to Chumpkin Express?
1: Yeah, very deliberate. I know that as I've listened to some of your previous episodes, there's been some pretty – Happy coincidences. Yes. Right? I think when you did the Love Parade and that was paired up with uh, Singing in the Rain. Yes. You know, kind of the musical, the birth of the musical, and then the story about the early days of the talkies and sound films and, and musicals. That was kind of a nice juxtaposition here. But, you know, with the formula being a little bit inverted here, um, you know, this is two criterion heads talking to each other. I thought, well, what could I choose? I didn't have a particular favorite movie that I just want to talk with Arik about, you know, just because this is my kind of film. I mean, my kind of film is a Criterion Collection (laughs) film, you know? And so I thought, well, let's get outside of the collection. In fact, let's get outside of anything that might be the kind of movie that Criterion might even release someday. Uh, I don't think there's any chance like right here it is ever going to release reality bites. I can't uh, see it happening. I no, I admit. don't see it happening either. <laughs> um, and this isn't a film that has any particularly meaningful sentimental value to me. I saw it. Years ago, probably not in its original release, but maybe in the you know 96 97 era, just kind of a, a movie to watch. Now, maybe get into some of the circumstances of that. But I definitely thought, let's let's find a movie after I'd um before I watched Chung King Express, but after I'd kind of read the synopsis and learned a little bit more about what it was actually about, I thought, okay, this looks like you know, uh, kind of a meat cute little thing going on here, cops and and uh, thwarted jilted romance and ambitions for love and let's find another film from around that same time because you know i definitely picked up on the fact that the cast of uh chung king express were were very young attractive people very pleasing to the eye very appealing to the audience the kind of uh you know individuals that uh you know casual moviegoers would kind of aspire to be like or at least enjoy kind of stepping into their world for a little bit and I think there's a pretty good chunk of that going on here with Reality Bites, uh, which, of course, a lot of us uh, in a listening to in the USA might be able to relate to, uh, you know, maybe relate or at least identify uh, some, some local equivalents to the kind of culture and scene and style, at least those of us of a certain age who maybe lived through those years. On one side of it or another, you know. This yeah, is a, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your reaction to so, it.
0: So, well, okay. So, first of all, so this is another. Fr- so, last episode was the first because you're a fellow Criterion person, but mm-hmm. this was also first because this is the first time someone has chosen a movie that I'd already seen before, but hmm. I hadn't seen it in um, a long time, and it it does have it does have like a special place in my in my childhood heart. I think for many people uh, of my age group. Um, it was the movie that taught us what irony is—the uh, <laughs> textbook definition. The right. textbook definition, which I could still quote to this day before I watched it again, uh, before Alanis Morissette taught us the wrong definition. Um, but you know, I think it's interesting because I—I uh, I believe y- you are—you are older than me, but we're both. Oh yeah. I think, mm-hmm. uh, if I recall correctly, without throwing anyone under any buses or anything, uh, you are sort of at the beginning of Generation X, and I am at the very end of Generation X. So we are both. Uh, statistically speaking generation
1: xers and yeah and, and actually some people would label me more as the end of the boomers I'll, I'll just say i was born in 1961 and i've seen the baby boom generation defined as you know 46 through 64 so obviously chronologically i would be maybe a little bit more in that boomer category but my life experience I've always felt a lot more akin to Gen X uh, with the with the broken home, you know, the latchkey kids, the rootlessness. I moved all over the country as a kid. I was kind of proto-Generation X, if you will. Uh, my experience in the early to mid-70s reflects a lot of what a lot of the 80s kids were were going through as they were coming of age, right around the time that Reality Bites in 94 kind of hit and, you know, made its mark.
0: Yeah, so the canonical number—and people, there's all kinds of disagreements on on these generation things, but the canonical one I'm going by, at least for my own uh, edification, is that the Generation X is 61 to 81, and I was born in 81. So by that— very coincidentally, uh, perfect book ending. You would be the first year of Generation X, and I would be the last year of Generation mm-hmm, X. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I fully admit that that's ridiculous, and the you know, <laughs> the, the whole decades theory of history is dumb anyway. But, the <laughs> but, um, but I think you know, one of the things that I thought, uh, as I rewatched this film for the first time in such a long time was. This is like the most Generation X, you know, Mark Laner, David Foster Wallace, E. Unibus Plurum, like the most Gen X <laughs> thing I've ever seen. You know, with the, the hip references to pop culture and to commercial products as a way of expressing your, you know – uh uh individuality or, or that you have a personality or your thoughts on the world you know that your life is is was changed forever by Peter Frampton or a, or a big gulp or a, I mean it's it's personality as pop cultural you know re- uh, references and I I have to say watching it I was like man I totally understand why the why the greatest generation? Why the, why my grandparents were terrified of of Generation <laughs> X. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Well, the, so this movie, you know, I guess maybe just to kind of lay the the, the context a little bit here. Was you know, 1994. I mean, that's probably a landmark date, just like of, of my generation, of a little bit older. You know, I think of the years like 1967, 68. We talked about where I met my blog in you know, 67, the Summer of Love, and the Flower Power, huge and the Hippies, yeah, and huge. 68, all the assassinations and the war protests and the riots and all the you know, chaos, not only in the United States, but in other countries, in Europe, uh, you know, in Paris and Czechoslovakia and Hungary and all kinds of other places. So, you know, a a lot of heavy stuff coming down. In 1994, I think that's the year Cobain committed suicide. You know, Nirvana had kind of done their incredible roller coaster and and this generation was being defined and and in a very real sense marketed to and marketed as something and and what had perhaps been kind of an independent alternative Uh, even rebellious and and socially aggressive transformative moment all of a sudden found itself kind of getting commodified and and repackaged and presented and so the people who were trying to really break out of the mold as you know young adults typically often want to do you know rejecting the mistakes of their elders and carving out a new path all of a sudden found that these kind of Rebellious, hip, rowdy things that they were doing were just being domesticated and tamed, and 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 uh, you know, kind of commodified in a movie like Reality Bites. Although there is a genuineness to some of this as well, and that's that's what I find fascinating as well about watch, rewatching this film. Uh, you know, they're they're capitalizing on it. They're they're taking advantage of the trends, uh, but they're also trying to at least as best they can capture the heart of what it's like to be a a young adult at this age in this society and so like we talked about with chunking express uh, a landmark of a certain place in time i think reality bites very well functions in that role yeah it's interesting because you know i
0: i felt while watching the two films that reality bites was far more um dated or of mm-hmm. its time, you know, that kind of feeling. But now that I think about it in talking to you, that's probably because I was alive in 1994 America and mm-hmm. know all of this stuff and know how things changed and see the painful, painful, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, attitudes of these people. And, you know, they're talking about $5 salary and, and these things. And, and, I wasn't in Hong Kong in 1994, and so for me, watching Chungking Express, because one of my thoughts was that it was unfathomable to me that this came out the same year as Chungking Express, which I think is, first of all, obviously just a way better movie, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, has a timeless feel to me. But I'm thinking, like, if I was a young, uh, you know, Cantonese person from Hong Kong—
1: I might feel differently about that, and they would they would go to Chungking Mansions now and say, "Man, that the mansions are nowhere near as whatever they were right. back then." You know, right. life has changed, and uh, even some of our off off the podcast, the conversation about how San Francisco has changed from the years when I lived there to where you're at now. You know, life is always changing, and and society is always growing and evolving and, and on the move. And so these films, you know, it's one of the great things about my blog is that they do capture places and times and moods and attitudes that are distinctive to their respective eras and 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 that in that sense i think reality bites actually serves a pretty valuable function when you say it's the most generation x thing that you've seen (laughs) well i'm kind of glad that somewhere there's this little time capsule of a movie that that uh you know epitomizes some of that oh yeah Uh, there's films uh,
0: that i've that i've uh, sorry to interrupt there's films that i've um written about on my blog where the, really, the only thing I found of value in them was that they captured uh, a specific time and place that I might mm-hmm. not otherwise have gotten to see. Right sure. at the very end, even if I didn't enjoy the movie, and and when you're watching, you know, what the Criterion stuff like we're watching, it's it, it that's personal taste, but it's not has no reflection on the quality of the of the f- film typically. But if you don't like it for whatever reason, at least typically, there's some amount of that sort of uh, accidental documentary going on, mm-hmm. right? That people mm-hmm. are not attempting to. These people were not necessarily attempting to channel the zeitgeist and and create this time capsule, but they but they did anyway.
1: Well, but you know the fact is there there very much was a self conscious attempt to capture the zeitgeist. Oh, for going this film, in, yes, in this particular this film. film. Yes, oh, yeah, yes, I, yes. oh yeah. So you're making more of a general statement. Yeah, yeah. Here, yeah, no, there one, was a yes. very knowing. Okay, what is the zeitgeist? Right. Let's get, get this, this in the script, folks. <laughs> you know, and so and and I think that's that's part of the fun, I guess. You know, you know, what do you want to consider this? You know, campy. You know. <laughs> ironic <laughs> uh, or or just you know kind of back in the day if you if you kind of identified with this with this culture like like you said Arik I I was a little bit on the older side by 1994 uh, all four of my children had already been born I was wow. pretty much in a secure stable married relationship you know already working at the same organization I currently work for now so my career was pretty well under the way uh you know these people are certainly you know probably a good 10 years behind where I was at the time uh but you know the, the the kind of the central unifying theme of the of these these protagonists both the Ben Stiller and Ethan Hawke kind of the two male uh, rivals if you will and then Winona Ryder and Janine Garofalo the two kind of lead females uh, they were all very smart creative talented people who were really trying to find a way to get a leg up in this kind of media culturally based society uh the ethan Hawke character i can't remember the names right offhand but troy he, troy he's an aspiring musician he's gonna he's working the coffee house circuit but he's a poet he's a songwriter uh, and he's a free spirit he, <laughs> uh, oh yeah, God, yeah he
0: is not my favorite character in cinema <laughs> no 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 but he's got
1: that awesome hair and that little yeah. scruff of a goatee and and oh, yeah, he sure knows how to hang dangle a cigarette you know <laughs> yeah yeah He's every. <laughs> and, Give you the major, eyes. Oh, <laughs> God,
0: I, the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, I choose neither of these people, Winona Ryder. Choose neither of
1: them; they're terrible right, people. Right, and then was it Mark? Is that the Ben Stiller? Michael. Michael, Michael. Michael. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. Michael. Um,
0: oh. <laughs> so okay, well, let's
1: just get Michael out of the way. So Michael is a is a is a hot young producer. He's working the showbiz track for all he's worth. This movie's all based in Houston, of course, so uh, you got another little kind of local scene there just down the road from... Uh, slackers and uh, Austin, Texas, and all of that, uh, but uh, he's he's trying to kind of make his big break in the New York showbiz scene, and and they're kind of copping into the MTV vibe, I guess, back when MTV was a vibrant, uh, dynamic uh, culture maker. Yeah, he's
0: working for uh, like a low rent MTV ripoff station called uh, like In Your Face, I think is what it's called, yeah, or something the, like that. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: It, he's he's a he's a
0: he's a producer, and he he. It, you know uses that to try to put the moves on on Winona
1: Ryder's character, right? And he's trying to he's trying to talk to today's young people, you know, <laughs> <laughs> with with the message of what's going down, and and they're speaking their language, all the you know the, the bright neon fluorescent colors and all the jangly graphics. Yeah, he's a bit like
0: the Rob Lowe character in Wayne's World, right? He's yeah. like a
1: little out of touch, but trying really hard to fit in. A little,
0: he's not evil like the Rob Lowe character because this isn't that kind of movie. But he's right. got kind of that same sort of uh,
1: you know. It, He's not on the hip wavelength that these other people are on. But he knows how to cut deals, or at least right. he's, he's been cast into that slice of society. So the studio suits know how to talk to the. He's, he's their version of what the hip young people are all about, you know? And so he's the intermediary yeah. between the two. And uh, they both, both of these guys, kind of take a liking to the young, beautiful, gorgeous Winona Ryder, uh, who herself has just graduated from college as a valedictorian of her school. And she's got a job at a local, you know, uh, TV uh, variety or talk show, and she's under the thumb of this grinding old bastard who's, uh, <laughs> you know, Mister Mister Happy Go Lucky kind of a Regis Philbin type when he's on camera, and just a real, just real a nasty old cuss jerk. when he's yeah, just a right. Oof. right, and then finally, I guess the Janine Garofalo character. She's she's pretty pretty loose, pretty uh, you know. Uh, sex positive, I guess is one way they'd put it nowadays, Uh, but she's working at the Gap and kind of compromising some of her more indie ideals because uh, she's just got to get that paycheck, you know, and so that's that's kind of the dilemma that these folks are in. There's another guy uh, kind of in their circle who's not yet quite out of the closet, but he's kind of working his way there to talk to his parents or probably won't understand, and so a little bit of that thing going on as well, but Really, what you end up getting is a pretty conventional love triangle story. That Winona Ryder, as the uh, you know to be empathized with lead female, is probably going to draw in a lot of that rom com audience uh, with the two you know gorgeous Ethan Hawke and you know the pretty sharp and handsome Ben Stiller. Uh, before they both became kind of parodies of themselves yeah <laughs> you know, that, that's that's kind of, yeah isn't it isn't it great watching these yeah. youngsters as, as 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 you look back now and sort of see what they went on to become <laughs> absolutely and
0: i mean yeah just young ben stiller when he still they were trying to put him forward as sort of like a, a attractive male lead yeah ben you know, not affleck really the... type
1: but a little yeah. bit more maybe a little bit more you know wonky a little bit more neurotic but still you know conventional you know Nice cut chin, good hair, you know, trim physique, and all that. Well, he went on to become, you know, Zoolander and every, many yeah. other <laughs> things. But he was also the director of this film. He he directed yeah. this, I and mean, they they were all in their early twenties when this came about. So, from that standpoint, well, they've accomplished some things that I never did, quite did at that age. So, well, and I do think it's interesting
0: yeah. uh, as as a point that you make that that Stiller directed it that he put himself in. The role that he did, you know, he's yeah. not sort of the tortured. Uh, I mean, I think I hate Ethan Hawke's Troy character. Like, he's, yeah. he's, he's that, he's just that inferiority complex, super smart, you know, philosophy guy who always has all the answers, but is only a good friend if your life is as bad as his and all these kind of things. I, I mean, I knew people like him. I, 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 I'm not a fan of his character, but in the film, he's sort of kind of like the you know the the more heroic of the two gentlemen and it's interesting that stiller chose to put himself in the in the uh, ultimately the you know the suit role the the, the, jerk, role, yeah. the
1: jerk role the jerk role the, that ultimately the yeah the the bad guy quote unquote as much as there is one in this film well especially that's, that's when cool. you throw the very ending bit of right. the film there in the credits where it turns out he's a he's a real you know rip off you know he's he's yeah, a he steals her chief. idea yeah mm-hmm. yeah and passes it off as his own so yeah and and so that's probably where you know some of the you know the film loses its touch because you do end up with such a a lame you know Hollywood ending you know yeah I mean, to cut all the way to the to the back yeah. end there but I think there are so, still some affecting moments in the midst of it all and and part of it is even though these characters may be truly unlikable in many respects I I'm not too proud to say you know. Some of those characters, you know, I was I was kind of more in the punk scene in the early 1980s, which was, you know, certainly not nearly as glossy and romantic as anything that's cast here. But I still remember some of those same kind of self-righteous, uh, grandiose attitudes, that kind of naivete, that kind of smartass, you know, I've got this thing figured out when i'm really a clueless schmuck that is <laughs> is this you know is is two blinks away from disaster if everything just breaks the right way so you know there's a i i maybe i'm just at a stage in life where i can look back on these these young people and say oh you know you really are quite an asshole but you know god love you anyway <laughs> well i think i mean
0: you know to be very self critical i yeah. think one of the reasons that troy rubs me so much the wrong way is that i do see aspects of you know, my youth in him and sure. things that I'm like, oh God, what you were so, what a jackass you were, you know, so <laughs> yeah, pretentious. Yeah. But uh, I, the, the, the Hollywood ending is predictable and unfortunate. I thought to myself watching it this time when, um when, when, when the, when Michael and Troy, so Ben Stiller, and Ethan Hawke, are outside the bar and Winona's just run away and you know, you can, yeah. the, the end of the movie is telegraphed from a mile away. I thought, you know, this movie would have been incredible if the, If the rest of the movie was just the two of them getting together,
1: (laughs) you know Hollywood just was not quite ready to take that step. No, but oh
0: my God, what a what an interesting historical uh, piece this would be. Then get Winona
1: out of the way and let's 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 talk about this.
0: You know, you you look good in the rain, Ben. You know, (laughs) I think it would just be phenomenal. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I you know that that's pretty it's pretty hilarious uh, to contemplate <laughs> for a moment there. Um you know, I also, you know, there th- there's some interesting thing, another kind of, you know, parallels if you will between this and Chungking Express. The the way that some uh, you know, kind of unique uh, f- uh video or filming techniques are introduced Mm -hmm. There's there's a lot of handheld video camera uh integration and and as ben stiller says on the commentary they did they actually used real video on tape that got spliced into the film oh, so that's this was, why that looks so okay yeah yeah, yeah so it looks so, great yeah th- those are scenes where Winona the Winona writer character really is kind of being a uh, you know kind of a video blogger I guess in, in today's you know, terminology she's just carrying her camera around and capturing her friends and of course it's still scripted dialogue but it has that feel I remember doing a little bit of that back in the day uh you know especially as as video technology got a little bit cheaper and just kind of catching those those uh, spontaneous midnight conversations and and her ideas is a form of cinema verite if you want to consider it that although again it's it's scripted cinema verite but uh, again i i i like the way it captures some of the uh you know the groping for expression and and trying to catch those dynamics uh of of you know young adults uh, sorting, sorting in, things out, and, and coming into their own.
0: Yeah, I think actually uh, those moments are probably my favorite in terms of actual dialogue and emotion. And as is the case with a lot of, for me at least, with a lot of these these sorts of films, when I go back now and watch them, what I end up finding is that the sort of side characters end up being far more interesting to me than oh, whatever's yeah, going yeah. on with the leads. And so the Janine Garofalo gap manager mm-hmm. and, the, and, um, and the gay uh, friend who hasn't come out to his mom mm-hmm. and... Uh, the David Spade cameo and the Andy Dick cameo, yeah, yeah, Ray those Zelda are little, cameo. little bits,
1: right, right.
0: The, the, those characters, and and specifically though for this one, Janine Garofalo's character, who is mm-hmm. really funny and 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 has some moments of honesty. Uh, like you said, it's not actually cinema verite, of course, but it's has that feeling to it, and and that's cool. That I didn't know that they filmed it with a with actual video. That makes a lot of sense because it looks perfect. Yeah, um, Yeah. But th- those those parts end up being kind of like in, in in a lot of ways my favorites because they have the most truth in them and are not just uh, like a recitation of of sort of um, uh, like I said earlier pop culture touchstones. The, the other thing, by the way, that this film has in common for me with um, Chunking Express is that the this is another great soundtrack.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It's got a lot of variety to it, and and it's it's definitely one worth worth hunting out i think actually on spotify i I found the soundtrack there uh or even you know the old good old-fashioned cd you know look (gasps) up there (laughs) (laughs) um but, you know, as as physical media collectors, I think there's a place for CDs as well. And this Absolutely. is a, a relic, uh, you know, that uh, you know, maybe hang on to. Another interesting little tidbit here is the, the writer, Helen Childress, she does appear on the commentary track on that uh, $6 DVD that I found of Reality Bites. And she said she started writing this story when she was 20 years old. So wow. it was 23 by the time that this film went into production. And there may have been a little bit of studio grooming to kind of, maybe smooth out some of the edges or maybe to throw in some nice kind of canned humor um but that was also somewhat impressive to me that this really was a a a young woman's work and so uh, I think there was a you know, just just the fact of of her youth to put this together. I don't really know much more about her background, uh, but but you know the fact that she she got this thing going. This was not just a a bunch of studio heads saying let's let's tap into it. Now the studio heads probably found these folks and said yeah let's go ahead and green light this and let them go. But uh, th- that is th- that that voice coming through, even with some of the rom com cliches and some of the you know the meat cute stuff and all that going on. I think you know. There's there's enough substance here to say this isn't just a complete trifle. There's a reason that this this film still has a kind of a a, a, you know a lot of people who came of age in this era had a soft spot for it. So you know the first time I saw this was actually when I was at work. I, I at the time in the '90s I was working as a supervisor of a residential treatment program. And so I think our staff brought this in for, for the kids to watch as an activity, and I just kind of sat down and watched it with them and, you know, just kind of looked around and said, yeah, this is the story that a lot of these teenage girls that, that were in the home that could relate to, a lot of the younger women's staff who who worked with them kind of identified with some of these characters. And so that's, that's a little bit of the maybe more positive context, but I, I never – took it to heart as a movie that i myself would identify with because like i said i was already kind of past that stage of life and it was just kind of like okay so this is this is what what the you know the young women of the 90s uh like but i kind of watched this a little bit more with a discerning critical perspective this last time and like you say while while there's flaws and conventions and you know some pretty you know convenient leaps that the the plot takes uh, I, I found it overall an enjoyable experience. Yeah.
0: Oh, I felt the same way uh, completely. Uh, uh, to go back just for a second, the, yeah. the woman that the, that wrote the the screenplay, Helen yeah. Childress, she, mm-hmm. uh, I completely agree with you that, that it does shine through and it is very impressive. And also I, I find it fascinating because after this, she basically disappeared for almost up until now. Um, hmm. And she's just reappeared recently and is making... A TV show version of Reality Bites with Ben Stiller. No uh, kidding! You yeah. just
1: looked this up, and I had no idea. That's I looked it up while you know yeah. for,
0: for doing for before talking to you. Uh-huh. Yeah, so she she disappeared. She came back, and and she's done. I think like one movie that hasn't come out yet, and then they're doing this TV show. And she, but she was gone for for like twenty years, and people were just like, "What happened to her? You know, where where was yeah. she? What, what was she doing?" And so I think you know from that perspective, you know, she showed up, and I I do think you know I I think that the and I, I wanted to be clear about this, the the pop cultural touchstones are very much a product of sort of the media of that time that, you know, uh, the the writer I, I name-checked uh, at the beginning, Mark Lehner, it, it wrote a book called My... Something My Gastroenterologist. I forget the exact <laughs> title, but he... It's a, a very okay. famous um, sort of mid-90s, early 90s, uh, Gen X sort of uh, book where everything is... Everyone speaks in kind of product cliches, and it, it, it's just... Uh, that was a certain a certain movement of of irony as a uh, cultural force, it, not acknowledging that that irony that the things you were trying to be ironic against, like television, were already in the, the, themselves uh, using irony, and so your your irony was you know it's like that the Kurt Cobain, like you said, it's like so ironic that it's almost beca- has to become sincere because there's nowhere else to go with it. Uh, so I think that. Um, you know this really fits into that time period perfectly it's kind of why i think it it does have that time capsule effect that, that you were talking about and I, and i i completely agree with you i watched it again and while i definitely noticed you know, many, many flaws and, and the hokiness of the film is very apparent. It is just a really fun m- movie. And I mean, there's a lot of pretty incredible talent at a pretty interesting age, right? You know, a lot of young actors who've gone on to some pretty pretty awesome stuff, uh, some less awesome stuff, but, <laughs> you know, that happens. But I think it's a, it is it's it is more than a trifle, like you said, and there is definitely things to, to find in here. I think it was, I was very happy to, to watch it again. I was glad you picked it.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, there there's some fun things that, you know, struck me, um, some of the product placement type of stuff. I mean, the endorsement of Big Gulps, a lot of young adults smoking and and how cool so that was much made smoking. to look. A oh lot of smoking God. and that and it's like I wouldn't have even given two thoughts about that even back in the late 90s. Uh but here it feels very much like, "Hey kids, let's smoke." This is what <laughs> the, kid, the cool kids do, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, just, just there. So you you sort of feel like, well, yeah, this is a you know twenty year old plus movie now. So I guess you know uh, it's just another little you know landmark of of how attitudes and. You know, popular conventions have evolved. You know, you don't just don't sit in bars and smoke anymore like you used to. You know, you don't even sit indoors and smoke as much. I Me, mean, I'm sure a lot of people do, and uh, maybe not even cigarettes either. But, but uh, yeah, just uh, you know, th- this the styles, the fashions, like again, the musical soundtrack. Uh, that's a pretty pretty nice slice not only of of you know early 90s you know post-grunge indie alternative stuff but you know things like the knacks my sharona the frampton song uh baby i love your way and uh all all that kind of stuff so you know it's it's um yeah probably i've said about as much as i have to say about it without maybe getting into fine tooth comb material but uh um, yeah, I, I, I think it makes for a decent comparison and uh, a nice little contrast to the, uh, the art house, uh, you know, uh, appeal and, and, uh, you know mastery the the kind of uh you know the the talent on display with Juan kar a a true auteur uh we're not really going to give auteur status to Ben Stiller but he's he's a cultural <laughs> force to be reckoned with uh and and again what these what these young people went on to become and and even some of the supporting cast even some of the older you know, Joe Don Baker and and uh yeah, yeah. some of the other folks I, it's it's just a fascinating little spectacle so uh yeah i'm glad that you like my choice
0: yeah no i think um it, it comes in a context kind of the last thing i wanted to say uh it, it kind of it kind of comes in the middle of sort of the the early part of the noah Bombbach wit stillman kind of era yeah of yeah that's film. a good
1: yeah, and, and I think Ben Stiller kind of traveled in those circles, and there there I think there are some attempts at some of that bantery type of dialogue. I don't mm-hmm. think it's quite to that same kind of erudite level that you know, uh, yeah, that Baumbach or or even you know Wes Anderson or you know, or uh, Witt Stillman certainly got to, uh, but this this style was just sort of beginning to develop. In fact, you know, Tarantino with Pulp Fiction that same year really launched that, and this film was clearly not quite on that level just in terms of the word play or the daring you know to sort of take it way over the over the top like that but you could see there's they're striving they're trying to move in that direction uh, yeah. of saying things that are you know certainly a bit provocative and 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 pushing the limits and and for for an early nineties rom com, you know, the Meg Ryan type of stuff that's, you know, all but forgettable now other than a you know, just a nostalgia trip of a different sort, this movie definitely steps into territory that most other romantic comedies of that era were were pretty afraid to t- touch upon with the you know with the, the the sex the drug usage just the kind of the grunginess the if beads. you will yeah. Uh, yeah yeah all of that right and and uh, and the young man you know coming out uh, in in a way that was pretty much you know it was not played up in a in a sensational way it was just kind of acknowledged that you know if if you're gay you're going to have to take that step and it wasn't made into this kind of you know melodramatic moment of of crisis or extreme angst it's just hey yeah, this is an awkward thing that we got to get past and we're going to support our friend while he you know takes this courageous step
0: right so i would say um that if you are a person who enjoys like kicking and screaming or metropolitan or uh you know those sort of early to mid-90s uh, Criterion films, uh, this is definitely something you could watch and, and kind of put in the context of kind of understanding that that, that period of time. Uh, cool. Well, um, Thank you again so much for, for, for coming sure. on the podcast, David. This was wonderful. And yeah. let me uh, have you tell the folks out there again where they can find you on the internet.
1: Sure. Well, I write a blog called Criterion Reflections. Uh, you can just Google that, and you'll find my chronological series of reviews of Criterion Collection films that started back in January of 2009. And I'm just getting into the films of 1968. I'm also a pretty frequent contributor to the Criterion Cast website where I do podcasting and occasional reviews over there so you can find an archive of my stuff. I'm sure Eric will probably put a link or two in the, in the notes that'll kind of give you some direction to find my stuff.
0: I uh, will indeed. Uh, so uh, y'all can find me out there at cinemagadfly.com or cinemagadfly on Twitter and I will see you all next month with a new guest. So thank you for joining me and have a great night.
1: But the question remains. <sighs> how can we repair all the damage we inherited?
0: I was told there'd be no math in this exam.
1: Can I change my answer? The answer is simple. Mm.
0: The answer is... the, 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 The answer is... Pizza! Pizza.
1: Pizza.